1: Has Jordan. Now it shakes free, Gets two! Gilmore on. Oh! Oh, brother! Lead to Lino You get 21. 4.28 to go in the first quarter for the Cow Palace. Here's Barry.
0: hello and welcome back to the over and back uh, classic NBA podcast I am Jason Mann and with me as usual is rich creech rich great to be back with you
1: yes we always have a very good start to this podcast I always like that so yeah. we, we're always we're, we're on the ball we're ready you know we're we're, we're really undefeated in pretty much all of our um, Podcast openings. So that's uh, how many have we had right now?
0: Uh, oh, somewhere in the high seventies, I believe. That's what I think. I think we're so we're, we're to our 80th
1: episode. So that's possible. So we'll, we'll just go with that. We're eighty and zero <laughs> there in, you go. Uh, in podcast openings. Nice. So I don't know if that's actually true. I think there is quite a few that we've screwed up and had to re-record. But uh, I'm going to go with eighty and zero because that's what people have heard. The, the end result, eighty and zero. You so go. was, pretty good, pretty good win streak to start our uh, podcasting careers. I would say that, not our podcast careers. This this podcast. Sure, we, sure. Um, we're veterans of the our, game, Yeah, so. right. Exactly. Um, so with that, uh, we are talking
0: about uh, some of the best starts in oh. uh, NBA history. I know. what a- I had no idea. I had no idea. That's cool. Uh, cool. It's, uh, <laughs> big surprise. <laughs> you. A- I'm sure you're going to add a lot to the <laughs> show, Rich. By, uh Jeez. Uh, from that um so yeah we uh we took a look at uh some of the uh the, the best starts in nba history a basketball reference who we um we always do shout out in the notes but maybe we don't shout out quite enough on the actual podcast itself but a a wonderful resource that we um use a lot they have a great uh, little tool where they show the uh, nba's best record after a certain number of games so it, it makes it easy to uh look at it and sort of organize it and to um figure out all these teams so we're going to kind of just go through the uh the best starts in nba history talk a little bit about each team and what they did and what was important and or interesting about them so sound good rich that sounds good. All right, so we are going to start off. There are two teams that began the season 14-0, uh, and 0, the uh, 1958 Celtics and the uh, 2003 Mavericks. The uh, 1958 Celtics, this was Bill Russell's second year, his first full season. They also had Bob Cousy, Bill Sharman, Tom Heinsohn, and Frank Ramsey, who, who were their uh, key players. And a player on, the, uh, on this team that I had never heard of was... Um, I, Lou uh Cieropolis, and um which I'm guessing that's how you pronounce it. But um he actually died just recently and he was a uh, more famous as a um University of Kentucky player, won a national championship, was on the Celtics only for uh three seasons, but I just thought that was uh interesting another um player who was recently lost uh from nba history of course not as significant uh a part of it as some of the others but uh, still you know um it's sort of an interesting guy to uh, know about but anyway um these celtics finished uh, 49 and 23 they were first in the league in um in srs simple rating C- uh, system which is a, a the way basketball uh, reference basically measures like a sort of a strength of schedule and, uh, and uh differential uh it's kind of their, their their way to sort of um measure the strength of a team over a season so um and they actually lost uh this is one of the years in which bill russell did not end up with a, a championship ring they lost to the st louis hawks in the uh, 1958 uh finals
1: they did but luckily they avenged that by winning the next eight so yes <laughs> that's pretty good and then losing one and then losing and winning another two yeah, so that worked out pretty- uh, i think they made up for it but uh I don't know, this Russ this Russell guy, I wonder if there was hot takes about Bill Russell not being able to win the big one, even though he won the one, you know you know, obviously he won the year prior, but you know, sure. geez. Like, come on, man, like let's get it together and then yeah. yeah. Of course, and
0: but, and this was Russell's first full season. This was like his first uh, you know, being the um uh a year, you know, of he only played, had played half the season. He was kind of mm-hmm. more of a supporting role. He was a little bit more of a, you know, he led the team in minutes this year. He um, was a little bit more, I mean, obviously he was mostly in the defense and uh, rebounding mode, but uh, I mean, he averaged um, almost 17 points a game and almost 23 rebounds a game. So that's not too bad,
1: you know? Yeah,
0: not bad. Yeah. Not bad, at, bad all. at all. And, yeah,
1: of course. Uh, you avenged that loss by winning eight straight is pretty nice. Yeah, too, that's, that's so. pretty good. So.
0: Um, <laughs> And then the uh, other team to uh, start fourteen and zero, the two thousand and three Dallas Mavericks. One of uh, you're
1: you're a big uh, you're a big fan of this team, so why don't you talk a little bit? About yes, that. one of my favorite teams of all time. It's just a it's just a great great fun team i mean of course this is the best of the dirk nash finley uh, era you know you have like Ray friends in there and sean Braley and all those sort of guys and those guys were always kind of sporting cast that were in and out and doing different things but this of uh, the dirk nash finley where well, you can consider those three this is arguably their best team I and mean, they made it all the way to the western conference finals uh, they finished 60 and 22 uh, after reeling off that opening win uh, they were first in uh srs as mentioned you know by you prior the simple rating system which is great um Interestingly enough, they were ninth in defensive rating, which is a big thing of of this team sort of you know, there was sort of the the Thankfully, I think it's it's kind of over. But especially during the Antonio era, where people assume that when you give up a lot of points, that you're a bad defensive team, and that doesn't always mean that. I and mean, that's why defensive rating is so important. Because, well, look, if we score 110 and give up 107, you know, it doesn't matter that we give up 107 because we're always, you know, we're winning by just giving up a little bit more points because we score more. But that wasn't important for this team. Is, the, is there were some crazy those early, you know, Dallas Mavericks teams with Don Nelson? We're just crazy. They were giving up points and doing all that sort of stuff. This is the first year where they really sort of bought in and had a really good defense. A lot of that was zone as well. I remember they played a lot of zone and it was i believe the second year at the nba allowed zone and don nelson said fuck it let's try and <laughs> see what happens and and it, it went with good uh because you had sean bradley just down in the middle just kind of there uh blocking the paint which which worked out real well um yeah you know other guys in this team that are, are pretty it's a really deep good team as well you had nick van exel uh, you know you know in a supporting role sean bradley rayful friends adrian griffin Raja bell uh, eduardo nahara in there so it was an interesting mix of uh either really great or very good to great defensive players as well. So it yeah. was it was a, it was just it, a perfect blend of this this era of Dallas Mavericks.
0: Yeah, yeah, to me the what's interesting is like it's either had guys who were good on one side of the ball or the other side of the ball, but not really maybe other than Finley, guys who were
1: good on both sides of the ball. So. Yeah, because you have Nash and Dirk who, who at that point, I mean, Dirk, of course, got much better at defense, but was a pretty big liability at this point. Nash, who, who was no real good at all. <laughs> Nick Van Elk's not a great defender. Sean Bradley uh, became a, a pretty good defender at this point. Rafe LaFrance was pretty much a defender at this point. And then, like guys like Eduardo Nahara were just, you know, zeros on, on offense, but, but great at defense. So yeah, it wasn't nice. This was really just a, a perfect Mavericks roster until you know of course the the uh you know their nba finals birth and then of course their nba championship uh fears down the line and then you know it'd be the next year i think where they would uh, get antoine walker and anton jameson and all that stuff and it just yeah. it fell apart yeah after that but
0: yeah, they had the, the the year they they finished ninth in defense as you mentioned this year the the it was sandwiched in between years in which they finished uh, 25th and 26th in defense
1: yeah exactly yeah. so i mean it, it stands out that this was just a different team that had a better focus on defense whereas the other years just didn't at all so um uh they uh interestingly enough they led the league in scoring that year 103 points per game uh, and they committed an mba record low 11.6 turnovers per game which is just incredible considering the pace and the amount of points they were able to score and then not turn the ball over i mean that's it's just it's it, it's almost unprecedented to have that good uh, of you know of both of those, and they had the best scoring margin in the NBA that year as well. Uh, they won games by an average of seven point eight points per game as well. So they were they're a fairly dominant team as well. They were just a really really good team, and in the Western Conference, it looked like there was a real real possibility that even though they weren't you know this stout defensive team, they weren't you know the Spurs or whatever, they had a real good chance of, of maybe making the NBA Finals. And then they met the Spurs in the Western Conference Finals, and it didn't work out too well. But they got to the Western Conference Finals. So that's pretty fun but yeah I know the Spurs uh took him down but uh that's that's okay.
0: Yeah, it was in 6 games. It w- it w- it was a reasonably tight series. It doesn't seem like Yeah, and that's yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's why those those next years of Dallas were just so frustrating too. Cause then you had, you know, of course, that they'd shake up the entire roster, get Jameson and, and Walker in there. That doesn't work. Then Nashley, you know, there was just so many things that kind of piled up. And it's when Dirk started getting his you know, this was the year where he really built his reputation as oh my God, this guy's arrived and he's a really good player, and people started taking note. I think he's only 24 at this point as well. So it's amazing that he was able to just be as good as he was. If you look at his numbers, they're they're incredible for what he was able to do at 24. But then you sort of started to have him, you know, the Mavericks not doing all that success. And then it was like, okay, is this guy the guy to lead a team or whatever? And, of course, we've seen many years later that, that was those narratives were, were really bad and dumb and wrong. But uh, this is always a fun little Mavericks team. People forget that this team was was so good uh, and especially so good early. So,
0: Yeah. Um, and then we have two teams that finished fifteen and zero. The first is the uh, the Washington Capitals of the BAA in the nineteen forty nine season. Um, they were coached by I, I'm not sure if you've heard of him, um, Red Hourback.
1: That's a silly name, Red. Yeah.
0: Why would you, What's that name? Why would you name a coach Red? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what the hell? That's ridiculous. So, yeah. um, the Capitals were a pretty powerful team in the old BAA um, in the late 40s. They had finished 49 and 11 in the 47 season, the inaugural season, but then they lost in the uh, playoffs. They um, also. Won, uh, 17 straight that year um, that which would be which was the to set the record was later uh, met by uh, matched by the uh, the Celtics in the 50s um, and but they did not finish particularly well they started 15 and 0, and then they ended 38 and uh, 22 so or I guess 23 and 22 for the uh, rest of the season. Um, they were fourth of 12 teams in the league in um, SRS. Um, they ended up making the BAA finals, but they lost to the uh, Lakers, who had just jumped over that season from the, uh, the other league, the NBL. Um, and then the NBL and the BAA would merge into the NBA the next season um th- their star player was um Bob Fierick who was a three-time All-BAA uh, player uh second in finished second one year in points per game so it was you know it was a a stout scorer uh, only ended up playing 4 years in the league but he was one of 25 finalists for the uh, 25th anniversary team and was uh, only one of two of those players who are not in the Hall of Fame which is um Interesting. But um, he also was later a uh, general manager for the uh, Warriors in the uh, 60s. I believe he drafted uh, Rick Barry and, you know, it was kind of an architect for, you know, s- some pretty decent teams there. So, um
1: he missed the – I think when I was doing, – I'm doing doing a little bit of research on the Capitals, of course, for for this. And I'm working on a post for a heart of as well. And he, he played the first game of the playoffs and then missed the rest. I couldn't find exactly what the issue was. I mean, I, I, I saw injury, but then nobody ever really clarified what it was. But that was a big loss for them because, of course, he was their big guy. But, yeah, he missed a lot of the playoffs. I mean, most all but one game. So that really uh, really kind of hurt their, their chances, you know, come playoff time. Yeah, yeah. So
0: um... – their other players were uh, the top known players were uh, were Bones McGinney, McKinney and Fat
1: Freddie Scolari. Who I, there's just not enough fat, you know whatever, uh, and, and Bones. There's just not any Bones. Who, who's who's named Bones these days? Well, there's the uh,
0: there's Brent Berry, of course.
1: Yeah, but that you know. Yeah, he's not he's
0: that's not insane. really Bonesberry. He's Brent Barry. Yeah, exactly. so. like, yeah, exactly. Nobody calls him
1: Bonesberry. Barry. Yeah, He might call himself that if he wants. So. But nobody. Ca- I, I want people to just that. That's that guy's name. Like, like Russell Westbrook should just be Bones Westbrook, right? Like, I, I mean, you know, theoretically, yes. He- or fat, fat Russell Westbrook. <laughs> Who would be the fat? I'm trying to think. Is there any guy with an F uh, that fits the?
0: Uh, none that none that spring to mind. I'm sure there are have to be some, but um,
1: but fat Frank Kaminsky like that. That's oh, yeah, a, Frank Kaminsky's got a great. Uh, yeah. he needs to get fat because unfortunately he's like real skinny. Yeah, but that doesn't like that's a, that's a perfect like 1950s. Maybe, you, like, Frank maybe Kaminsky, yeah. like that's
0: maybe if we're trying to be ironic. Like we try to call maybe when we like call like a uh, you know a short guy tiny or something. You know.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Oh yeah. 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 Right. Right. Yeah. That that's 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 been done in the past. So that that's, maybe we'll just call him Fat Fred, fat Fat Frankie. Kaminsky, yeah. I think that's... So we got it. Okay, go. cool. Perfect. Um, well, I'm updating his basketball reference page right now. Sponsoring it, and then I'm updating okay. it. So. The, 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 Wikipedia as well. So you got the rest of this podcast. I'm busy. All right, so. fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> thank you
0: um so yeah that's all i basically have for the caps they ended up um uh folding in this was kind of the last uh end of the ride for them they folded in the 51 season um after 35 games so um not a good situation for them or for the early nba they eventually you know consolidated into um eight franchises from something like in the high teens eight, 19 or 18 um and uh, uh but of course yeah things ended up working out uh, in the end for the, uh, for the old NBA. So I did. Yeah, I did, uh, did quite well. I believe. Yes. Yes. So, um, <laughs> next we have the, uh, the 1994, uh, Houston Rockets. And, uh, you know, so to me, they're kind of an interesting team. Um, they uh, also began fifteen and zero, as we said. Uh, finished fifty eight and twenty four, only sixth in the league in SRS. It was their first year of winning the NBA Finals. They would win back to back. Even the next year, they would even be less impressive during the uh, regular season. Um, and you know, to, to me, like. It's kind of hard looking at the roster of this team and seeing how they won. Of course, they had Hakeem Olajuwon, you know, great superstar in in the prime of his career, one of you know top five player in the league, maybe the best player in the league. Now that Jordan was out of the league. Um, and then their only other above average production wise player was Otis Thorpe. And then everyone else, you know, they, they had, you know, they had like Vernon Maxwell, Robert Ori, Kenny Smith and Mario Ellie as kind of their other key players. Um, but you know, and, and, you know, they're obviously like, you know, Good role players, smart guys, you know, some good shooters. Um, but none of them, you know, at least production wise, was really, you know, particularly impressive. They definitely seemed like a team that was more than the sum of its parts, definitely a team that, you know, relied on chemistry or intangibles or, you know, whatever you want to say, um, rather than, you know, how they produced. Because, yeah, I've been doing some, um, Looking at kind of like some of the the, the best non-Bowls teams in the 90s, just some research for, you know, maybe something I'm going to write or maybe something we'll do a podcast on. And mm-hmm. and Houston by far is less impressive than several of the Western Conference teams that did not win, that never won a championship. Yeah. It's, it's kind of weird.
1: It, yeah, it is very. I mean, they they do stick out. They're kind of like the oddity team of, of this era. And, they, you know, of course, everybody sort of, you know, Michael Jordan leaves and then, you know, a random team wins or whatever. And it really is just kind of a random. T- I mean, you really look at it and you look at the differences between the roster and, you know, what what attested for them to just be. Because it's not only just, you know, winning the NBA finals, it's getting to the NBA finals as well. And for them to leapfrog a lot of these teams, it's just inter- it, it's weird. It doesn't there's just. I, I don't know what the secret recipe was. It didn't seem like Hakeem had... I mean, he had a a very, very good year or whatever, but it's not like this guy just was like figured out something in his game and got really good this year or whatever. You know, and then other guys, like you mentioned, like a Robert Horry was, you know, in his you know second year, I believe, at, at that point. Uh, guys like Mario Alley were in their third years or whatever. There weren't really like... I, I don't know. Was it like Otis Thorpe figuring it out or whatever? Like I not really i i don't know yeah it's a very interesting team i just don't quite get it but like you said it might just be like the perfect storm of guys coming together and doing something and and really working but yeah it's it's a very odd year they definitely stick out and and you wonder if they would just be a team that you know if they reach the finals, you know, like the Suns did or whatever, would they just get, you know, destroyed or they would lose to the, the bulls. And then that would be the end of, you know, the Rockets being that one Western conference team that came in. But, you know, the fact that they were able to get to the NBA finals and beat the Knicks, you know, they stand out, but then they were able to do it the next year as well. I mean, of course, you know, next year they added a few different parts, you know, Clyde Drexler, obviously, you know, a big one, but yeah, this is a very odd team. It's just, you don't, on paper, it just doesn't seem like, yeah, that team won the NBA. Final. If I showed you this team and told you the year they played and didn't tell you who won the championship that year, I, I don't think you would assume that these guys won.
0: Yes. And um, they also had Scott Brooks, later Oklahoma City coach. Yes. Uh,
1: Sam Cassell. Um, and who I was reading a uh, I was reading an SI Vault piece. I forgot who uh, the author was, but they said Scott Brooks uh, looks like Michael J. Fox with a uh, dyed hair. Yes. And they they questioned, "Have you ever seen them together?" And I went, "You know, I haven't." So no. you know, yeah. <laughs> um, I I don't think of them as looking that much alike as
0: you know, like as the you know older version of Scott Brooks. But you uh, have to go back and look at Scott Brooks as a player. He
1: was pretty dreamy. He was pretty dreamy. Yeah, at this I mean. Point.
0: Yeah, I recall him being handsome. I just don't remember like him and Michael J. Fox looking so much alike, but there you go. And then... Uh, I think a wafty hair white guy uh, there you go. credentials
1: for looking like Michael J. Fox at that point. Yeah, but...
0: maybe we're just stretching that a little bit. Uh, Matt Bullard <laughs> also, long-time Rocket, was on the team, and then um, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but um, Ohio State's Chris Gent, who was kind of their like their hustle avatar, like like their Dela Vadova rookie year, rookie year like, for
1: Chris as well, right? Was that? Yeah, it was his, was his, this was a rookie his, year? Rookie. Yeah, yeah, I
0: mean, he barely played in the league, and he played like um like seventy minutes or so on the t- on the seventy eight minutes in three games. But he um was uh, I was a big Ohio State basketball fan in the early nineties. Um, Jim Jackson was my you know, favorite player ever. Yeah, I you know I watched a, a lot of their games. Um growing up in Columbus. And um, so I was excited for the Rockets when they won this championship because, you know, Christian was, you know, somehow involved in a, in a small way. So very, very, very small way. And he was also later LeBron's shooting coach. So... Uh, so good for Chris. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I forget that. Yeah, yeah. So So um, and was an assistant coach in the NBA. You know, other stops as well. So he's he's kind of been around. I'm not sure exactly what he's doing right now, but, um, but yeah, yeah You mentioned that SI S. Vault piece, and it was interesting because it was yeah. This was r- during the time in which the Rockets had, um, you know, were having their winning streak, and it mentioned um, interestingly that. Um, uh, you top there, there's like, there was an early season, um, Rockets Knicks game in which the Rockets, I think that was like the last win of their streak before they lost uh, to Atlanta to, uh, to finish it out. But, um, you know, he, Rudy T even says, if we have to come back here in June for the NBA finals and people say we can't win in New York, Hey, we've done it, which of course predicts the, you know, the, the Rockets, yeah. um, uh, Knicks finals, which was not really necessarily like, I mean, they were, you know, among the contenders, but it wasn't like, oh, yeah, that's obvious uh, kind of thing. Um, and it was interesting. Also, the talks about how they began uh, early in the 92, 93 season. They began with a seven game losing streak. And then since the end of that streak, they've gone 57 and 12. Had two 15 game winning streaks and another 10 game winning streak. So, um, and basically, they just talked about like how they just got more serious about defense. They kind of figured out a scheme that worked really well for Lajwan, but also everyone else gave, had good coverage. They had good outside shooting. They had good, uh, you know, Robert Ory and Sam Cassell, who were second year and rookie players, respectively, you know, contributed well and they just had good reserves. And, you know, their, their roster wasn't that different, but they just were able to kind of change their style of play and it all kind of fit together. So,
1: yeah, it's it's a really good article. It, Rudy also talks about how that probably helped him. You know, losing that many games was like, all right, people, look, like you try to do it your way and it sucks. So now you're doing it my way, right. like sort of thing like that. We're not not like he's being an authoritarian like that, but just basically being like, okay, hey, look, here's a wake up call. Like let's let's do this now. Let's focus on this and let's try to change it because whatever we're doing right now, you know, just isn't working, and, and it works, you know, great. And you know, they went off with two NBA championships. So go them. Very
0: go them. Um, so uh, so next we have at nineteen and one the nineteen ninety one portland trailblazers they uh finished 63 and 19 they were second in srs uh to the bulls that year they uh they end up losing to the lakers in the western conference finals however um even though this was of the three teams, they, they they made the finals in 90 and 92, but this was the strongest regular season team of the three by the by by far. They had similar rosters in those years, uh, Clyde Drexler, Terry Porter, Drum Kersey, who we did a show on uh, when he passed away last year. Buck Williams. um they also had key contributions from Kevin Duckworth, Clifford Robinson, and newcomer Danny Ainge, who they'd gotten from in the offseason from Sacramento. Uh, they also had at the very end of his career Walter Davis, and they had 133 minutes of Drazen
1: Petrovic, who was kind Yes, of, yeah, this, the the famous, uh, hey, can you play me? I'm good. And nah, I don't know who you are. So no. Yeah. I, <laughs> Drazen Petrovic. And then, hey, can I go right. to the Nets and be good? Yeah, okay. There yeah, well, you go.
0: And it worked out uh, pretty well for him. Um, you know, they 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 kind of said he wasn't ready. Um uh, he demanded a trade early in the season. Then he was kind of like a like a mascot on the team. Basically, he was he was like cheered like crazy from the crowd. He was like the, like a Portland like Colt favorite. No, like the
1: Brian Scalabrini of your team. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Yes, we you know. But good, Brian, <laughs> But Actually, good. Yeah, yes.
0: funny given what he turned out to be a very good player right. before his untimely death. But. Um, and yeah, there was an SI piece to kind of talking about what you kind know, of what made them work is basically like looking at sort of their versatility, uh especially on defense with um Kersey and Williams and Robinson able to be able, you know, both positions in the front court. Um Drexler able to move his mouth forward, even Ainge being, you know, between both guard positions. Um and something I didn't know was that the Blazers like um that things had gone badly between Drexler and their previous coach Mike Schuler. They basically um feuded and Schuler was fired and then Adelman took over midway through the 89 season so um and obviously Portland immediately became really really good so um that obviously was a good uh decision on their part but I hadn't kind of realized like I, I honestly do, know very little about the pre-1980-1990 uh Trailblazers pre-1990 so yeah. um it, you know uh so that'll warrant we'll a look back at some point but um yeah, so I uh, yeah, I think yeah, Portland's kind of weirdly just, you know, cuz they're you know, even though they made two finals, they're sort of these I feel like these teams are
1: um not remembered that well and and they were really good. I mean, you know, they um Really deep. I mean, yeah. that's that's the thing that I remember. Where, where you know we talked about Houston and we're like, ah, how does this team make the finals? Like this team, you read and you're like, oh my god, this is a powerhouse. Right. Like they're just they're they're you know to the point where you don't play draws and pet. Like like there's just no need to even get him on the floor or whatever. And of course, you know I don't think anybody predicted he was going to yeah. you know, average 22 a game or whatever. But the fact that he just couldn't get on the floor from this team speaks volumes, not of of where he was at that point, but where they were. Where it's like, look, we can't really like we have so many other good guys. Sorry, like it's just a super deep team. I mean, Danny Ainge is, is there and just is. is a guy who it's just up and down that lineup is just so good it's 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 incredible
0: yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it, it's it's kind of a shame that this was the team that didn't that lost to the Lakers, though. That gave Magic one more run in the finals and gave us obviously a Lakers um, Bulls series, which was really one of the few times where you kind of get that like cool passing of the torch uh, thing between you know one era's team versus another era's team. But um, but they, they they might have given the uh, Bulls a more competitive uh, finals uh, that year, although yeah, the '92 finals was a pretty good finals, so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um so next uh, your favorite team, the uh, tw- oh, 23 yes. and 1 uh, 1970 uh, New York Knicks. They finished 16-22. They were first in the league in SRS. They famously won the uh, NBA Finals that year. They had a Did they they did. <laughs> they did. They did. They, they had an 18 game uh, winning streak uh, during this time. Uh, of course, lots of books and documentaries recounting the um, exploits of this team. Um, the names are very familiar. Willis Reed, Walt Frazier, uh, Dick Barnett, Dave DeBusher, Bill Bradley. They also had um, Mike Reardon, Cassie Russell, and Dave Stallworth as the uh, other key guys on the team who are less known. I guess Cassie Russell, Russell's pretty well known, but the other guys, I, I don't think as much. Um, Red Holzman, of course, being the coach. There's not really that much more to add. Um, you know, there. This is a pretty famous team. There's
1: read many books, yeah. Read books that do a much better job. <laughs> there's like five yeah. of them, so you can. We, we, there, there's, there's. Yeah, many, we've done so.
0: podcasts on you talking about this team in in different
1: levels. Of yeah, oh, yeah. So
0: our Game Seven uh, Finals podcast, I think we did a pretty good job uh, going through. There, there was one kind of good thing on on an SI Vault uh, piece uh, on them is talking about how the 18th game of that winning streak, they were. Behind uh, 105 to 102, Cincinnati with 16 seconds to go. Um, Willis Reed hit a pair of uh, free throws. Then DeBusher stole an inbounds pass at midcourt, went in for a layup. And then finally, Reed tipped another pass toward Frazier, who was fouled while shooting. And then, with two seconds left, sank both free throws to win one hundred six, one hundred five. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a, pretty it's impre- a fun sixteen seconds, yeah, man. Pretty impressive. Uh, not, five not five, a good day to be a Cincinnati Royals. No, no, and they were about to
1: lose their team, so that wasn't that uh, much. <laughs> yeah, that's even yeah, worse. Yeah. Then you know what? That was such a bad loss. We are taking your team away. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you can no longer have a team. Bye. Yes. So. And you'll never have a team ever again. Bye.
0: No. <laughs> like, um. So shall we move on? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so um I guess we can kind of group these two teams together cuz they're um they're so similar. Yes. Yeah, the, the the Boston Celtics of uh, 2008 and 2009 seasons. The the 2009 season peaked at uh, 26 and 2 um and uh that they finished um 62 and 20. They were second in the league in SRS. They lost in the conference semifinals, uh, mostly because of uh, KG suffered as a, a, an injury later in the season, missed the playoffs and, and missed the ability to uh, be able to do that. But they, um, you know uh they were a great 2 team 2 definitely on their way to a possible uh, championship the year they did win the championship in uh 2008 they started 29 and 3 they finished 66 and 16 they were first in SRS won the NBA title though they had some odd struggles in the playoffs of course this is the uh Kevin Garnett Ray Allen Paul Pierce Big 3 2008 was the first year of that team uh they also had Rajon Rondo Kendrick Perkins um Eddie House, um, pl- playing some big roles, uh, Glenn Davis, Leon Poe, Tony Allen, uh, particularly on the uh, second year of that team, plus the 414 minutes of a uh, Stefan Marbury in 2009, uh, <laughs> yes. which we all, um, remember in 2008, they had the all time great turnaround, improving their record, uh, by 42 wins, uh, which is, uh, which is pretty good. Um, not bad.
1: <laughs> it's good. A good, good reversal of fortunes. So. Yes.
0: so, um, yeah, the, the, uh, um let's see uh yeah so um i don't know anything else that stands out about uh those teams to you
1: not really i mean the first one the team that we mentioned the one that that lost in the semifinals they seem to sort of lose some steam about midway through the year and, and you can understand that as well with with all that happened in that 2008 season and, and running through the finals and just uh, uh, just a fantastic record you know 66 and 16 and then you start the next season and you go 26 and 2 and and everything's looking good but yeah they seem to tire a little bit down that stretch i mean um they lost seven of ten uh, from a Christmas Day game until uh, early January, awesome. and then you know the the first round of the playoffs they struggled with the Bulls. Um, yeah, you know famously that's the you know you hear like you see the, the highlights of like you know Joe Kim Noah running the floor and dunking on guys like that. That was a, a Bulls team that probably it was Derek Rose's rookie year, I believe, that really had just no business competing with the Celtics on any level, and and were like neck and neck with them the entire time. And luckily they got out of that, and then like it just became so much for them, and it, and and it, it's testament that they did still get to the semifinals, but you saw that that team was just like. It, it was getting tired and it just couldn't keep up with that sort of pace. And, you know, they'd have a, a nice little, like kind of mini dynasty for the next few years. But that was, you know, by and large the end of their, like, you know, true, what I would call dominance or whatever, like they were a dominant team until probably midway through this year. And then sort of crack started to form, you I know, mean, KG gets hurt and all that sort of stuff. But for the most part, I mean, still a really remarkable two year stretch. Um, as far as that second year, uh, there was a really, or the first year rather 2008, when they won the NBA finals was really good. Uh, SI, uh, piece as well. And and one of the quotes from it was uh, Boston, uh, Boston's 17th championship was earned by three players who supposedly couldn't win the big one, a coach who supposedly couldn't draw an X and O on a tic-tac-toe board, and a general manager who supposedly couldn't pick a winner out of a police lineup. So... Which I always remember from that team as well. Like it, you know, not being—I'm obviously not a huge Celtics fan—but that's something I enjoyed. Is was, was like, okay, Doc Rivers can't coach. You know, everybody sort of assumed that Danny Ainge was was being just lauded as you know a, a nothing GM at that point. You know, because he made a lot, a lot of really bad mistakes. You know, in the years prior. And then these three guys, you know, like a Ray Allen couldn't do it with the Bucks, and uh, you know he's not a leader. And Kevin Garnett, you know, got really close with the Timberwolves, but just wasn't enough to do it. But it was really fun to see those all come together. And Paul Pierce, of course, with the Celtics, was like, yeah, he can shoot a lot, but who cares? You know, and it, it was it was fun in one year for just so many narratives just be destroyed and blown up which I always like that I like whenever terrible sports narratives get blown up is makes me a happy person so sure
0: and the uh, the OE team also had uh, James Posey plus uh, Sam Cassell and P J Brown in small regular season roles, but they played fairly big uh, playoff roles, especially P J. Yeah,
1: P J. Brown, well, PJ Brown yeah. had like one. Didn't he have like a like a fifteen point, like twenty rebound game or some like ridiculous number? There's like one. I I forget. I don't have it in front of me, but there's only like one insane P J. Brown like playoff game. Yeah, where you're just like what? He, so like, he had what? some.
0: I remember him hitting some big shots. I don't remember specifically a, a huge uh, P J. Brown uh, game. He he wore 93 in Boston, which is a a, a good number It's um <laughs> um but yeah I, he definitely um you know that you know, he, that was the um that's right he was a wasn't he a buyout guy too i i kind of forgot about
1: um yeah was he on the bulls yeah i believe so he was on the bulls before that i don't remember if that's he had another stop in between there let me uh no he was okay he was bought off in the bulls and then went there okay that's what i thought yeah um that was the last year oh yeah it, good end for pj Good bro. way to go yeah i was like peter i always liked, I always liked him good- too yeah yeah. Um, Hit a nice little elbow jumper to a game for you that's that's all you yeah, need. yeah
0: I, I enjoyed him in um I, I enjoyed him in Miami i always thought he was um yeah yeah he, he was um he, he was very good in um in, in Miami i was trying to look and see if there was um he had uh yeah he didn't really have any big he had a 10 six game um and he, I don't think I don't recall. I don't think in Boston he didn't have necessarily um, a a standout playoff game, production wise. But he did play well. I mean, he just you know good defense and timely shots and all that good stuff. Um, but production wise, it does not appear that he had a big uh, game during that series. So you must be remembering okay, something right. else. P. J. Brown did or some other. Or, or, Brown or related somebody to else. So. Yeah. <laughs> One of the memory P. J. Brown memories that we all have. <laughs> right. Uh, so next we have. Um, we have three teams that uh, reached the record of 37 and three, which is not bad. Yeah. Um, first is the 1967, uh, Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, they were 68 and 13, which was the best ever record up until that point. First in SRS by a mile. One of the great, well, all three of these teams are among the greatest, um, SRS teams of all time there. I believe all they're all in the top five or so. Um, this, by the way, was the last 81-game season. The previous year was 80 games. The next year would be 82 games, and that would, of course, continue until today. Um, they were led by Will Chamberlain, Hal Greer, and Chet Walker. Also had uh, Billy Cunningham, Luke Jackson, and Wally Jones um, as their key players. Um, they were coached by Alex Hannum, who also led the 58 Hawks to the title, so was the only you know coach during this period other than... Um, other than the Celtics, uh, Auerbach and then Russell's a player coach who won NBA championships. Um, and, uh, the most interesting thing about the SI Vol article kind of talking about them was more of a feature on Alex Hanum and talking about how the 76ers were not embraced initially by a skeptical Philadelphia public. Um, the, the problem was that the, you know, the Warriors had gone to um, San Francisco and had taken kind of all the real Philadelphia players with them, the uh, Wilt and Guy Rogers and guys who had also like Tom Gola and Paul Arzin, who had um, who had, were no longer around, um, even owner Eddie Gottlieb, who was a very influential Philadelphia guy who had lost, but you know what eventually they brought back chamberlain wally jones was philadelphia matt Gukas was uh, philadelphia and jack ramsey they were all kind of had those philadelphia connections so it helped uh, the uh, city embrace the uh, team which is kind of funny like no one really necessarily cares that much about whether the local team has a local guy i mean th-
1: there, there's yeah. some benefit in the that. day though back in then, the, that day I, I definitely i mean especially if uh, you know the nba was built a lot on that like you know guys from their areas or respective areas you know the, the the draft was was and baseball was that way as well for a long time where it was like a big deal. Now people just don't really care. But it's probably just because, you know, before, you know, nowadays you pick a guy from whatever college across the world, you've seen that guy play, you know, 10,000 times and you see his highlights all the time. But I get it how, you know, if you were a random – fan you're like hey we drafted this guy you're like i never heard of him like yeah. who cares about this guy like i want all like, the I back you know yeah exactly yeah like no i'm not gonna go to the game because i don't know who these guys are or whatever like i i, I get that but yeah no it, it's it's probably better now that we don't do yeah it. But i mean it's still you, you see it from time to time sure. you know like a derrick rose in chicago is still an important you know figure for, yeah. for that team or whatever but the team doesn't like live and die like if they don't get a guy from chicago the bulls aren't gonna you know go bankrupt like it's fine like it really doesn't matter it's a
0: nice bonus now um and and there's certain times where the synergy obviously with lebron and cleveland where it works very well but it is yes but it's not like what it used to be for sure so uh and then also we have the 72 los angeles lakers who won 33 games in a row uh finished 69 and 13 first in um srs um uh, Elgin Baylor retired early in the season, so they were led by Walt Chamberlain, Jerry West, Gail Goodrich. They also had uh, solid journeymen like Happy Hairston, Flint Robinson, and Jim McMillian. Also, Pat Riley was a reserve on the uh, team. Um, this was the year that, that uh, first-year coach Bill Sharman famously instituted morning shoot-arounds, which uh, was a little bit tricky for uh, Wilt <laughs> In L.A. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, even more for Wilt being a guy who uh, was a bit of an insomniac um, and liked to sleep in the mornings. Um well he was busy at night so that's good yeah, There you what go yeah I'm sure it wasn't I'm sure it wasn't from lack of trying I think yeah. it was uh he was doing stuff that's true what kind of <laughs> stuff who knows but um the interesting thing puzzles. yeah the interesting he thing was... for me about Loved these puzzles. two teams the the 76 uh the, the sixers and the um Lakers is that both of those teams had like five or six guys who like dominated the minutes like who were like um with the Lakers, they had um, their top five guys all had like twenty seven thousand or more minutes, and then like their sixth and seventh guys had a thousand minutes. Um, you know, it was like just like a hugely wide distribution, and the Sixers were kind of the same way. Billy Cunningham had had like you know uh, they they had like six guys with over you know, two thousand minutes. Will had thirty six hundred minutes. So, and then like it, they just were very like five or six deep teams and then not much else beyond that, which I just thought was was kind of interesting. I'm sure expansion part of that and maybe Mm -hmm. just, you know, you might look at men's distribution on a lot of teams and maybe that was more of a thing that was in vogue then, but I just thought kind of that stood out to me.
1: Yeah, maybe that's what you need and maybe, you know, in those days or at least maybe even today uh, is like a team where you just play your best guys and just drive them to the ground for a little while to to get this. Whereas, you know, nowadays I think it's it's more than ever guys sort of or teams rather understand that, you know, hey, look, you know, we're, we're this guy needs a day off or that guy needs a day off. I mean, pretty much like the, the, the San Antonio Spurs model where it's like, yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to win like, you know. 65 games in the regular season, but is it really that big of a deal if we win the NBA championship? Who's going to care? So it is less of that. And I don't know if you're ever going to see that again, but yeah, that's an interesting uh, thing that maybe it is. Maybe that's one of the recipes to becoming as, as good uh, of a team or having as good of a start is just that you, you have your guys, you have your really, really good players and you play them to death and just go with them.
0: Yes. It's also worth noting that the uh, the 67 76ers uh, actually did reach 47 and 5. So they, um, so I mean, which, you know, 37 and 3 is great, but 47 and 5 is uh, pretty impressive as well. Um, And um, also reaching both those milestones, uh, in fact, even slightly better in the case of the second team, is in. is the uh, Chicago Bulls of uh, 1996. Uh, pretty famous team led by, uh, led by Michael <laughs> Jordan, who you may have heard of.
1: Tony Kukoc. Oh, Bill Weddington. Is yes. I thought who you were going to say. Uh, yeah. led, by, led by the Stalwart uh, Center... Bill Wellington, yes. yeah, who did that. Uh,
0: they were really uh, 72 and 10. They were first in SRS. They had the most wins ever, although not number one all time in SRS. The 71 bucks actually take that. Uh, yeah, take
1: that, Michael. Yeah, there you go. Don't tell Michael to get really pissed. He'd, uh, sure. he'd find some, he'd find some way to, to compete in, in, in this. He'd probably change. He'd like get so many, he'd run to the offices and tell them to change the algorithm or something. I, like I that, think so. Kareem
0: called him a, a sellout uh, recently. So I think, oh, he really he had that bad. Or that. well, I, I maybe like inferred that maybe I, I I haven't actually read the quote yet, so that's um, This will be a week old by the time people hear this, but anyway, yeah. So maybe he has other reasons to be mad at Kareem. Is my uh, is my point. <laughs> so you, as a Bulls fan, why don't you uh, why don't you take it away a little bit on? Yeah, United- so.
1: Yeah, of course, just just a historic team. I mean, you, a lot of people know, you know, many of the different facts and fun stuff from it. I mean, for most of the people listening to this, you probably grew up in an era where this was kind of a team you grew up on. You know, you're the really young basketball fan, maybe a little bit older, but either way, you have most likely vivid memories of this Bulls team. And this was the epicenter, the the the, the big, you know, peak of NBA fandom across the world as well and across, uh, you know, America, of course, where it was just, just gigantic at this time. Uh, they won, you know, 37 straight games at home. Um just an insane overall record at home as well they only lost two times at home uh they had a 12.3 margin of victory so remember we talked about the uh the mavericks uh the, the 2002 mavericks team or the 2003 mavericks team rather uh and they had you know 7.8 you know was their margin of victory this team is 12.3 it was just insane ever so that was tied for the best ever uh they were the first in the league in both offensive rating and defensive rating this was you know a mark that the warriors did last year as well and it really is just the true mark of a team that is just unstoppable and just destined to win it's just like you know, not a fluke team at all just a team that's just so so good and um one of the more interesting facts, I think, of this entire team is they have one win, uh, one losing streak, rather, uh, all year. Uh, two games. They lost two in a row. A uh, <laughs> Probably a very stressful time for the, uh, the Bulls locker room, but yeah, only one losing streak all year, and it was only two games, which was just insane. Uh, of course, the makeup of the team, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, uh, Dennis Rodman, who we'll talk about here in a little bit, Steve Kerr, Ron Harper, Luke Longley, Bill Weddington. It was really the Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, Kerr, Harper were, were that. I mean, again, we talk about that solid five. Those were your solid five there. The, the role players were solid in there, but it was really those guys that led a lot of it or, or, or I should I should add Longley in there Longley was the the center on that team but Kerr was a very good piece off the bench just a just a great shooter uh, of his era I need to know as well a, a few of the oddities of this team and that's one of the best parts of these like Bulls teams and is looking at the guys at like the end of the roster who like grabbed extra rings or whatever like we'll talk the next year was Robert Parrish uh, grabbing a ring this team had uh, two bad boys James James Blue Edwards and John Sally earned additional rings here uh, and also uh, Dennis Rodman of course was a member of the bad boys teams as well and he got a ring here um, and it, it, it's kind of fitting those two guys got the rings as well with this team and then Rodman was really just a guy who who propelled this team to next level uh, the year prior um, of course that was Michael Jordan's comeback year they lost uh, to the Magic in the uh, the Eastern Conference Finals and Jordan spent an offseason just kind of stewing about that and came back just determined and made sure that everybody else was determined made sure that Ron Harper was in better shape made sure that everybody was ready to go and just just win the title was their biggest you know priority uh but about halfway through the year they realized oh shit we're really, we've only lost like twice or three times or whatever so let's let's see what we can do here and then just really just a team that that just never took a day off and just really did everything they could to, to win you know, 70 games and of course 72, which is a mark that I just don't think anybody will ever eclipse. So what do you think? Do you think there's, I just don't know if any team's going to be that manic about doing it. I I think they're going to want to reserve their guys or guys are going to take days off or I just, I just don't know. I just don't think that any team is going to want to win every single regular season game like this team did.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I don't see it happening either. I mean, I you know, it's certainly possible. I'm I, You know, I mean, I guess it's theoretically possible, but it just seems like it's such a hard <clears> – <throat> I mean, you're right. It just doesn't seem like anyone um, – is going to approach a regular season like that? Um, although the Warriors this year, I don't, you know. Yeah, I mean they're
1: they're on a they're on a warpath right now. Yeah. So. Um, so it might take something like that, where a team either circumstances of all like numerous expansion teams or something like that, which of course was, was an issue with this year, is that you have the Raptors and the the Grizzlies in there, yeah. so change a little bit of the power. Maybe it would be something like that, but I don't see the NBA really like being like, hey, we're adding like three new teams this year, or like two new teams or whatever. I just don't see that happening. And then also, yeah, it, it would take like a team really feeling slighted and going, okay. We're just going to dominate everybody. You know, and the Warriors can talk all they want about their, you know, Oh, we're overrated or we got lucky thing. But at a certain point, I think, you know, Luke Walton and and Steve Curry, you know, when he eventually takes back the coaching reins and Curry and all those sort of guys, well, at some point just realize, Hey, whatever, let's just win the NBA finals. Who cares? Like, but who knows? They're on a, they're on a nice little path right now. yeah. So,
0: um, I, a couple things. Um, yeah, um, 96, as you mentioned, w- expansion year. 67 was also an expansion year where it went from 9 to 10 teams. 72 was not an expansion year, but it was uh, only a year or two after the league had gone from 14 to um, 17 teams. And if I'm not mistaken, I think we are we have just gone through – we're now under the longest period of time in NBA history without um, yeah, any, any expansion. Oh, the Bobcats
1: were what? Oh, I believe.
0: Yeah. Oh, three or four. 04. I don't know. I, I think one. four was their first season. So, okay. um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's 11 years. I don't believe we've had an 11 year stretch without, um, without expansion. Um, a, you know, um, I, I, there, well, I guess there was a lot of contraction up until 54 and then there was expansion, I think in 62. So, um, so, yeah, I guess if you consider the merger of the league in to 62, I guess we're like a year off of that. But other than that, I don't think we've um, had a period of time in which we've gone, you know, this amount of time without any expansion. So that, that's sort of interesting.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, and Andy, do you I'm have sure, any, sure some... what do you think? Do you think that's, that's, they're going to add teams anytime soon? I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of have a weird feeling about, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I, yeah, it kind of feels like they would
0: maybe try to add a Seattle team at some point, but. Just Seattle such such good leverage for anyone who wants to move to get more money for their arena or whatever that they don't want to do that. Um, which which sucks, but that's uh, just sort of the <laughs> way that um that it happens. But yeah, I mean, I I think it's definitely like possible, but I don't know, if, like the NBA, like if there's like a compelling reason to do it. I mean, I like, guess they want. If yeah, they, I see they more teams moving.
1: I see more movement than than straight up expansion. Like you, you know, maybe a team but even then, like most of the teams that we sort of considered moving have pretty much sewn up uh arena deals at least in the past few years. You know, a team like Milwaukee, uh Sacramento's one as well, where you sort of assume, Hey, maybe they're gonna go. But yeah. it, it seems yeah, it's it's more it's than ever. It seems like the pretty right stable. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, anymore. There was always those two, but now I don't know who really uh who really it is. I mean yeah, everyone's pretty solid right now. I'm trying to think off the top of my head of any team that, that seems like they're really struggling, but it's, it's a healthy league right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All that TV money, that'll help. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even like a team like Atlanta, where you sort of look at it and go, ah, nobody, but now they're, you know, a hot commodity and stuff. So, yeah, there's really not anybody. It's just, it's cool. Ah, That's good. Yeah. Uh, a few other things about this team. Um, of course, I mentioned Dennis Rodman coming to the team being a big part of why they sort of had their big turnaround. Uh, of course, he came very, very early in the team, uh, just five games before they are five, five days before their training camp was going to open. He joined the team uh, and they had to get the blessing of Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan because it is Dennis Rodman. And at this time, of course, you know, Dennis Rodman is Dennis Rodman uh, and famously because Dennis Rodman is that. I mean, the, the Bulls had so many issues with you know the bad boys, Rodman in particular and, and Pippen. As uh, a guy who still has a scar underneath his chin from a time when uh, Pippen or uh, uh, Rodman rather uh, shot him into the crowd, and there's a quote in this SI piece uh, where he says, "I don't have to like Rodman off the basketball court as long as I like what he does on the court," and that was his quote uh, when the training camp started. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the Dennis Rodman thing. But hey, even if you don't like each other, and you know, famously this year, I think uh, Michael Jordan punched out Steve Kerr during a practice. But hey, if uh, if it wins, who cares, right? That's. That's what it is, but uh, yeah, it was just a different stuff. And uh, Steve Kerr had a quote. Uh, this is the, the Bulls had a really good thing because I think the anniversary, of course, was a few years ago. And if you look at and 10 if you run a really good like kind of long form piece about this team, uh, and Steve Kerr had a really good quote here, it says there was an incredible motivation and everything clicked. As motivated as Michael always was that year, was another few degrees higher based on what he had been through, the absence from the game, the loss the previous year to Orlando, the motivation was just incredible. It carried on the entire season, and that's what and and that's what made it so incredible or so remarkable rather. It's just that yeah, this team just just wouldn't give up, and and Jordan basically was was just determined to win, and and. and you know, win this title and and prove himself as a, as a player again. But uh, interestingly enough, we're going to go on to the, the, you know, the next year uh, they go 49 and six, this 1997 bulls team uh, very nearly <laughs> got to 70 wins, which is just insane because no team in history before that had gotten to 70 wins. And this team was, you know, one game away from doing it to back to back years was just, just an incredible level of that team. Um, a lot of interesting quotes again. You don't really have to go through a bunch of the stuff of this team. It was, you know, once again, they were first in the league in offensive rating. They unfortunately fell all the way to fourth in defensive rating. So, you know, that, that's what killed them there and that 70 wins. But more than that, it was just a, a, an incredible team. I mean, similar to 1996. Uh, Wennington played a little bit less. Jason Caffey and Randy Brown played a little bit more. Uh, Robert Parrish, as we mentioned, got a ring here. Uh, played, a, played a little bit. You know, not as much of just kind of a token role. actually had a few games here and there where he got in there, but, you know, not not a ton of stuff from him. But, um, you know, interestingly enough, uh, their the, the final game where they were going to win, uh, get the bid to get the 70 wins was against the Knicks, and they lost it by three points. Uh, Chicago hung with the Knicks, but uh, Ewing dropped 27. Allen Houston, who was kind of a new Knicks addition, dropped 25, and uh, New York pulled away. In the fourth quarter, you know, winning 33 to 24 in that. So thankfully the Bulls would sort of uh, get the revenge later uh, in the playoffs, beating the Knicks and knocking them out. But uh, a lot of really good SI pieces. Uh, Jack McCollum has just an incredible piece about this Bulls team, which is actually funny. I I quoted it on Twitter. Uh, He mentions that the league – there was just a weirdness around the league that this team was just so dominant and so incredible and so like polarizing or not not, not polarizing is not the right word because everybody loves him we'll, i'll have some quotes here that talk about it but just that they were just they were they became bigger than the league like people were bulls fans not nba fans and he questions what's going to happen when this bulls team either falls apart doesn't do what they do or michael jordan's leaves and says hey is the nba going to go through a giant malaise once jordan and the bulls are done or whatever uh, And david stern says no no that won't happen you know oscar robertson left magic left and we were fine after that It's been no problem, and, and David Stern was absolutely right because the FBA flourished in the post-Michael Jordan era, so that's fine, but <laughs> uh, it was interesting because I mean it, reading David Callman, he's got real things here and it, it, it's interesting because this entire quote um, and you can look it up, I think I linked it on our Twitter account as well, um there's quotes uh, from different players and stuff like that. The first one I'll talk about here a little bit uh, is, is Jack McCollum's words. He says, seven weeks remain in the regular season, but is there any reason that the engravers should not get started on the championship trophy right now? Does anyone envision a scenario other than an injury to Jordan in which the Chicago Bulls, 50-7 and seven at week's end, seven games better than their nearest competitors, the Detroit Pistons, do not breeze, by, uh, breeze to their second title and their fifth in the decade? And then uh, Doug Collins, who was the coach of the Pistons, uh, you know, the second-place team, says, uh, when the Bulls are ready to hang it up, we just want to be ready to take over for them. So... <laughs> Doug Collins, ever the uh, inspirer, says, well, we can't beat them, but maybe if they leave, we'll, uh, we'll do well. And uh, again, uh, just quotes about, um, you know, I remember this as well, living in Chicago, maybe I, I sort of was skewed because it was my hometown team, but just so many people being invested in that team. Um, you know, Jack McCollum talked to numerous fans and players and teams or whatever that felt like the Bulls at that point were almost just like a traveling road show. Like people came to see the Bulls. And uh, Terrell Brandon, who was a Cavaliers guard at this time, said that, Uh, He was kind of upset there was a game where, where I think the Cavaliers beat them and said that the fans were almost like booing them and like cheering the bulls. And he says, you know, quote, it's a problem when the home fans cheer for the opposing team. Like he, people went there to see the bulls. They didn't go there to see their hometown calves. And like, he was a little upset by that. Uh, Dikemi Mutombo added a quote as well. He said, I think some players are just happy to be on the same court with Michael Jordan and the fans to be in the same arena. So it, it became almost like a, a bigger than the NBA phenomenon of these two teams in two consecutive years, just being so good, so great. And just all this sort of stuff coming together. It's just a, it's a remarkable two year stretch. Like it, it's just. It's unprecedented. Like It will never, ever... Because, again, like I said with the 72-win the team, I just don't envision a scenario where a team is going to take the regular season as serious as these guys did.
0: Yeah, and, and I wonder if we're going to... If there's a chance we get a similar phenomenon with Golden State, um, you know, it's a little early to be talking about this. Obviously, you know, they're it's early and in, into their second season, but they're, you know, last year they were a regular season team with not quite the level of dominance of the '96, '97 Bulls, but not that far off. Even though they obviously don't have that, they don't have Michael Jordan on their team. I mean, Steph Curry is amazing, but um, and it, it is maybe you know um, the greatest offensive weapon in. Um, NBA history certainly from a perimeter player but you know he's obviously not quite Jordan um, but I do wonder if there's going to be that, that kind of like that sense of awe from other players and you know if, if they have this kind of larger life feeling that the Bulls had during this time and whether you know how that affects you know if obviously that could upset mm-hmm. some people and that already um golden state's attitudes upset some people's golden state very much has gotten in a lot of mileage out of perceived slights to them which i think is kind of been a little bit silly i don't think anyone's really been that much of a you know it has has really like thought that they were a fluke or anything like that i think that's kind of all been yeah
1: you're it, first it, in offensive rating a defensive rating right I, I mean so,
0: i'm know, sure like, th- i'm sure people have said that but i don't think anybody has been those
1: people are stupid yeah
0: there. exactly like, no one <laughs> seriously believes that i don't think so. Um. So, so yeah I I um, I, uh, I mean you said it well and and they are obviously an a, you know incredible team so so they the 97 Bulls peaked at 49 and six the um the 96 Bulls they reached um, 54 and six 60 and seven um uh, 66 and eight. 71 and nine and
1: of course 72 and 10 as they finish so <laughs> good record with a loss of the expansion toronto Raptors oh, as well which is one of the, one of my favorite nuggets of that entire team is that this like all-time great team loses to an expansion team yeah. like it's just it's it's sometimes the nba man it's it's a fun little game but it is indeed so uh so yeah that was a good
0: start for us um Good start to a, a a new season for us. So we're we're kind of planning to uh, to do one show a week uh, at least during the uh, regular season. We'll kind of see what we uh, we might do a little bit of a reduced schedule during the uh, playoffs, and then come back strong with a another um, off season series uh, where we're a little bit more frequent during the off season when there's not as much going on. Obviously, so that seems to work well for us uh, over this summer. So I, I think we're going to try to kind of continue yep. uh, going in that vein.
1: I think so. Yeah, we're uh, we're we're willing and motivated. We have, we were slighted last year, so we're gonna uh, yeah. dominate the regular season this year. I don't know how we were slighted, but we're gonna make it. up. I, I'm, I'm sure somebody on Twitter was mean to I'm us. Sure, so we're gonna, I'm sure someone slighted us. Uh, we're gonna get really upset
0: about it. Yeah, so, someone picked another history podcast over us, so we're very we're very <laughs> right, upset uh, by uh, that. Yeah,
1: one of the other many NBA history podcasts that are out there right in, now. In, so.
0: Indeed, yes. So in all earnest, somebody touted them over us, and we were like, ah, so <laughs> take that. So. <laughs>
1: Anyway, and I punched you to get you motivated, and then we're good.
0: Yes. So um, you can find us at com. Uh, we're on Twitter and Facebook at Over and Back NBA. Also, we have our forums at Over and Back where we have lots of discussion about uh, basketball history. And uh, you can find us on iTunes, both Over and Back and the HBO basketball network of podcasts are both on iTunes we would uh, love your uh, a rating and review to uh, let other people know that we're pretty cool and that you should listen to us so if you think that then we would appreciate it if you give us a rating and uh, until next time thanks for listening and we'll be back again soon